Nada, did you have a nickname in school? Gee, I wonder what it was. Was it Nada? Was it Nada? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Congratulations. No one else Road came Scum. up with some other kind of nickname, though? Oh, there's a thousand. I'm just not getting into them. Why? I, I because Walker, did you have a nickname? This is a fun game. Uh, I mean, it was... It wasn't something that really people called me, but it was I, like... I thought it was the mailman. It was, right. Like, it wasn't like people would say, hey, what's up, mailman? But, like, it was like it was written in the paper one time. I had a good game, and it was kind of like, you know, kind of joke around the mailman on the basketball court. But nobody would, like, walk up to me, dap me up, and say, what up, mailman? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of... That sounds like something you started. Yeah, exactly. No, asked, it wasn't. Swear asked to God. the newspaper to publish. Swear to God. And no one, everyone refused to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I promise you. It was a it was kind of given to me like even in middle school. The mailman we don't he believe delivers. you. I'm just telling you, man. We don't believe you. You absolutely need more people on this one. I that's what hell yeah, man. And I I've got I've got a couple <laughs> buddies that call me that. Start the show. I'm just trying to tell you what it is. You know, you don't have to. What about you? Is it Big Baller Branson? Is that what your nickname was? <laughs> no, you know what? People, I used to have like really cool book bags, and people really love my book bag, so they used to say D bag. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I think it was wow. because of the bags. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably why it was that. I hope so. Like, I really do hope so. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. How are we feeling Brian Burns today? I'm a fan. Brian Burns coming off the edge, wreaking havoc in the NFC South. Give me draft day, Brian Burns, all day. Love the pick. Watched it all last night. I'm excited. I hope you guys are as well. What do you guys think about it? Who's Brian Burns? What about you, Nada? Oh, wait, 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 wait. You watched the draft? I did watch the draft. Did you not watch the draft? No, I went to go see Avengers Endgame. Oh, that's right. You were tweeting about that. I forgot about that. Spoiler alert. You guys aren't prepared either. You're just not. I thought the Panthers needed an offensive lineman. Well, they need they need a lot of things. They need an offensive lineman. They also need an edge rusher. They got Brian Burns. I think he's phenomenal. Crazy athletic. Elite athleticism. Didn't he play linebacker in college, though? Well, it's like edge. It's like the outside linebacker. I mean, he could drop in coverage. In fact, they talked about that in the post-draft presser last night. So he can do that. Very versatile. Marty didn't think that he would be there possibly at 16th overall, but when he was, they knew that they had their guy. Now, Andre Dillard was still available. Maybe they could have gotten Andre Dillard at 16, but he actually fell to 22 before the Eagles traded up and got him. And so they are going to need to address offensive line. But Brian Burns at 16, phenomenal pick. Unlike, Love the pick. Unlike the Hornets, it feels like for the past several years, I mean, maybe you could bring up a year that this wasn't the case, but most fans seem to be on board with what the Panthers do in the draft, unlike the Hornets, where it's seeming, seemingly every year there is some kind of discord about the draft at the beginning of the pre-draft process Brian Burns was probably the most linked guy to the Carolina Panthers and it's weird because it stayed true the entire time and it it, maybe there was an Audrey Dillard thrown in there he was heavily considered Uh, there was 
I, I think there was quite a few guys maybe thrown in there, but Brian Burns was in the mix the entire time. I think that was a lot of people's favorite. And he did well at the combine. You put on the tape. It's great production from Florida State. You know, everything pretty there wasn't any fall from him. And there was some fear that he could go even before 16. In fact, I think a lot of people thought he might not even be there. But he was there, and so Carolina takes their guy. When Mario Addison is in a contract year, Julius Pepper's gone. You're looking at F.A. Obata, who Nada said once was Swahili for Ryan Delaire. I'm not <laughs> wrong on that. I'm not wrong. It was a great tweet. I'm not going to lie. It really was. Follow Nada on Twitter, at Nada the Scribe. I'm on Twitter, at Walker Mail. Doug at Doug Branson LOH and you can find the show handle on Twitter at Locked on Hornets you can find it on most social media platforms at Locked on Hornets we're going to talk a little bit about Frank Kaminsky today we drew a wait, random wait, 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 name wait, out wait, of the hat wait wait wait, wait not wait. a hold on I'm going to tell you you know I knew you'd be angry at this we drew a random name at the hat it was completely at random there was no reason whatsoever why we chose Frank Kaminsky today and Doug and I just we drew a random name and it ended up being Frank Kaminsky coincidental sure but certainly not on purpose no I don't believe you guys because you too <laughs> you too would be the type to set me up to make sure that I am here <laughs> like we discussed this before I thought it was hey yeah you're gonna come in Nada. we're gonna talk about Kemba Walker I'd have been cool with that had I known I'd have gotten lunch I'd have gone and done something else I'd have been texting some woman. I don't know. You've been texting some woman. Someone. <laughs> instead, instead of wanting to talk about Frank Kaminsky. Exactly. I, I want to talk about Frank Kaminsky before I text any women. I don't know about you guys. Kaminsky, Polish for herky-jerky. Frankie tanky. Herky-jerky is just a phrase that sounds like what it is. Herky-jerky. Is that one phrase that we can try to find the origin of? No, I... I don't, I'm not sure we could. I mean, it might be 1860s or something along the lines of that. Where's Herky Jerky from, Doug? Can you get our research team on this? I want to find that just like we had Rote, just like we had Stalwart. You found those pretty quickly. What is the origin of Herky Jerky? Uh, this appears to be a reduplication of jerky that has its origins in the 1970s. So basically really? one of these phrases that... Uh, just came about from rhyming the word jerky. Basically, with what we did was we had a word and we decided to rhyme another word with it and create a phrase. Real creative, English English language. Real creative. Oh, All good right. job, yeah. English. Yeah, congratulations. You're phenomenal. How dare you like disrespect the forefathers of this great language that we? How dare you? Two? All right, not a fine. We'll go to Frank Kaminsky. So Frank Kaminsky, somebody that didn't play a whole lot this season, except for really the maybe like last quarter of the year, maybe even last third of the year, Frank Kaminsky got back into the action. So we'll do the present and the past and the future. We'll do it all here with Frank as we look at how he came into this organization and what he did this year. And a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting angles from all of Frank, right? Like what a interesting player that has been in this organization. So you look at how he was brought to this organization. We can all remember the Zach Lowe reference of Danny Ainge giving them the option of 17 first-round selections, including the one that could have had them the number one overall selection, a couple of the Nets picks. It was He basically opened up the treasure box and said, take your pick, Hornets. And they said, no, we're going to pick Frank Kaminsky instead. And so a lot of people got angry at the Hornets. I'm sure that Danny Ainge offered him something, but we've talked about this quite a bit. It seems a little bit far-fetched to believe Danny Ainge, who probably was the source of his Eklo. I, I, I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nada. Like the the issue uh, with Frank is I don't know, 
just go ahead. I, I'm confused and befuddled. <laughs> uh, so what I was going to say is that uh, Frank Kaminsky at uh, the, the position that he was drafted in was not far off of the the mocks that we knew about coming into the that we knew coming into the draft. So it's not as if it's a, a Raiders situation going back to the NFL draft where they just take someone. No, he's not Cleveland. He's not Cleveland. Right, someone that was like mocked to the second round and and Michael Jordan just fell in love with him and took an absolute flyer on Kaminsky. I mean, Kaminsky was highly regarded, uh, but it just wasn't. I mean, you know, you had Justice Winslow out there. You had other players that I think fans were more affectionate about, but you saw years later the organization take Malik Monk, a player that fans were very affectionate about, and and that didn't work out. So listen, the Hornets, the Hornets' draft luck uh, has really uh, not depended on whether the fans like the pick or not. The one thing about Frank that just before like the last two months of the year with him, he's a guy that through his career was not good enough a shooter to justify playing time at times. And he was a guy that was a step too slow, needed to perfect a lot of things. And maybe, just maybe, that came together in the last two months. But, again, as for the promise of what he was, what he was supposed to be, the one thing I keep going back to is, are we sure a guy like Devin Booker plays, considering that Steve Clifford's penchant for, you must be able to play defense to get on this floor well look as much as Doug would love to just bash Devin Booker all show long Devin Booker is the guy that you select and I think that's why people were so angry at that time because one Justice Winslow was considered a highly regarded prospect so was Devin Booker and I even liked Miles Turner then I was a fan of Miles Turner enough to even bring him I understand he had Cody Zeller and so I, I guess the fit just didn't work out as well as what a Devin Booker would have or a Justice Winslow at that time but I, I thought Miles Turner was going to be a good basketball player and sure enough that's somebody that you could look at and say okay the Hornets passed on him for Frank and so they turned down the selections however many selections however many picks it might have been they turned him down they turned Justice Winslow down they turned Devin Booker down and a lot of people just didn't like the guys that they passed on and Frank never really was somebody that was fully embraced by the Charlotte Hornets franchise or the not the franchise but the fan base immediately as soon as he comes to the franchise and so I'm not saying that it wasn't Frank's fault I mean there you have to step up in your first three years you know you have to step up and play better than what you did but I don't think he was fully embraced and didn't play all that well you look at what he did the first three seasons of his career 41 percent barely under 40 percent his second year and then he shot 43 in his third year you look at his three-point percentage you look at the best one he's ever shot from beyond the arc it was 38 percent last year but when you go to cleaning the glass Doug as we dissected this I think sometime in the offseason last year a lot of his good threes a lot of the ones that he made were in garbage time because cleaning the glass I don't think that it showed he was a great three-point shooter when you negated garbage time here this season when we go to the present it was somebody that was sitting on the bench for a while at the beginning of the season when he wasn't playing in some of the preseason action we all knew oh Frank is going to be the odd man out here because we didn't know what guys were going to be implemented in James Borrego, new rotations. You know, what was he going to do? Who was going to be the odd man out? Oh, it's Frank Kaminsky. And we learned that in the preseason. And so he got put to the bench. He would get in every once in a while. Maybe he had a couple of good games here and there at the beginning. But for the most part, sat the bench for a long time. And then we can go to the last two months of the year. They're looking to shake things up. They need more offense. Frank Kaminsky able to hit 36% of his threes. But more importantly than that, He shot 55% from inside the arc. The best he ever shot inside the arc previously 
was just the season before at 46%. We're talking about almost a 10% increase from inside the arc. And that was huge. And I think that's a huge part and why Frank Kaminsky played a lot better on the offensive end. And so now it's like, is he worth the qualifying offer? And that'll transition to the future in a second. Yeah, some short mid-range game uh, moves. We saw him start to develop those last season, and he's continued to develop those. When Dirk Nowitzki, when we were all celebrating Dirk's retirement, uh, Frank was quick to say on social media and I'm sure other platforms that he really idolized Dirk's game growing up. And you can see the influence. Like every other tall white guy ever to play the game of basketball. Right. Basically. But so you can see the influences of Dirk's game in what Frank Kaminsky is doing uh, in, in the opportunities that he gets around the post, and, and it's working for him so far. He's 48% from the short mid-range. That's good for 84th percentile this season, and it made him a potential mid-range threat. And I also want to say, too, I think one of the reasons why Frank Kaminsky was not able to break the rotation early on is because he really wasn't displaying a identifiable skill. No, this was <laughs> yeah. To expect this simply was false. Hey, look, you could have expected that he was better than what everybody was giving him credit for. You know, that's fine. In fact, I thought maybe people were a little too hard on him like he wasn't absolutely atrocious on offense. It didn't justify the bad defense enough to put him out there in rotations. But to see what he did here, I don't think anybody could have called for the upgrade to 55% from inside the arc and pretty effective from outside the arc at 36%. Right. So he wasn't going to get playing time over Cody Zeller, who has all kinds of identifiable skills. He wasn't going to get playing time over Bismack Biombo, who was one of the few rim-protecting threats you have. And then we talked about when we discussed Billy Hernan Gomez, great rebounder. So again, he had that identifiable skill that allowed him to break into a rotation that was constantly changing under Borrego. Frank Kaminsky early on just didn't that yeah the one thing I did want to point out though was that he got better in that last two months on defense he was constantly boxing out he wasn't getting pushed around on the boards no he wasn't biz or Billy on when it came to boards boarding or defending the rim but he was at least passable and becoming a passable center in this league right now and being able to hit 55 from two and close to 40 from three That'll get you paid in a lot of places in this league right now. And so you look at some of the, the date that matters here. So Frank Kaminsky, he's going to be a free agent in July. And Charlotte has to make a $4.5 million qualifying offer before the June 30th deadline, if they indeed intend to do so. So June 30th, that's the deadline that you'll have for a qualifying offer. I think they they probably make the qualifying offer, right? I mean, after They'd what be he stupid did, not to. Or after the last couple of months, you offer him the qualifying uh, amount, $4.5 and then we'll see where we go from there. But as we talked about also with Frank Kaminsky, it's not like you're dying with every fiber of your body to keep him on this team, especially the way that this cap is set up for you. So if he leaves, then fine, but it's still somebody that you give him the qualifying offer and see if other teams try to poach him away from you. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more. Not as here. That means it's Fire Friday. We got plenty more fire from you here in the, inside the Gittimer.com studios. If you're in your car a lot, driving to work, driving the kids around, and if you have a smart device in your car, and more and more of you do now, tell your smart device to play Locked On Hornets. Don't fumble around with your phone and Bluetooth. Just say play Locked On Hornets and make drive time, LOH time. We'll be back in a minute. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We don't want that Pacers talk. You got to respect the satchel. We don't want that Cavs talk. <laughs> what you got, Doug? I have the entirety, 
turn this satchel's a little loud today. <laughs> it's, Be quiet, satchel. No, we're ba- it's a club banging in here. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. So you look at, again, Frank Kaminsky and evaluation. Are you looking up stats? or What are you looking up, man? I know what this is. I know what this is. Damn it. I know what it is. NBA mock draft (laughs) season. And I've got a big one on the line here from Steve Kyler of Basketball Insiders. Not a first round draft. Not a first. So hold on. This is Steve Kyler. This is somebody we know of pretty well. Kyle's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's as we call him. Not a first round NBA mock draft. No, no, no. We've got a 60 pick NBA (laughs) mock draft. From Steve Kyler. All right, what's wait, the wait, fir- wait, 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 hold, hold, hold on. Qu- quick question: There are two hundred guys still in the draft. Why would anyone feel that crazy to go look at a sixty-player draft when people haven't withdrawn their names? Because yet? we have people like Doug who are glued to it. That's he, right. He thrives on it. Shame on all of you. It, I've clicked on it seven times. <laughs> Inject it into his veins. Who is the first round selection? You've already disturbed the show enough who is the first round selection with the 12th pick in the nba mock draft by steve kyler the charlotte hornets select jackson hayes freshman out of texas jackson hayes not bad i do i can't i can't help it i mean if it is 60 selections i do want to know who the second round selection is for the charlotte hornets if you can scroll all the way to 60 i'm just surprised somebody would have they have two now they have two oh that is right 34 that is right that's correct. All right, give me give me both. I want every pick that you got for With me. With the 36th pick in Steve Kyler's NBA mock draft on Basketball Insiders, the Charlotte Hornets select Nas Reed, oh. freshman out of Louisiana State University. Hey, if I know you like somewhat well as a second-round selection, then I'm already happy with it. Now, how is this? So they have them taking... He has him taking a 6'11 forward, Jackson Hayes. Does Hayes play center as well? Did he play a little five at Texas? He, he played a little bit of five. I think it would be five, right? Yeah, he would be the five. He would basically... Yeah, because Nas Reed is listed at 6'10", 250. Yeah, give me both center, of those so guys. I don't care. All the big guys big I can... Yeah, give me... Nas Reed can shoot. He was fun to watch in, in the tournament in the first couple games. They went to the Sweet 16. Give me Nas Reed. Love it. With the 52nd pick... In the NBA mock draft by Steve Kyler on Basketball Insiders, the Charlotte Hornets select Ignis Brasdikis, <laughs> really? freshman out of Michigan. And a little known fact, Brasdikis. I did not expect that. Tell, tell me you were expecting a Big Ten school to come out at the end of that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm absolutely surprised. I was expecting a European country. I did not expect to hear Michigan come out. Fresh, a 20-year-old freshman, uh, 225 pounds, played the three position, 6'7", Brasdikis. Uh, I believe that is Romanian for mock draft. Brezdikis. I'm just going to believe you on that one. Arnoldus Kubolka, what does that mean for him? Does that mean he's got to stay in Europe? Is this guy going to take his spot? 
Or are we going to get Kuboka back in the NBA? No, Kuboka's coming. He'll be, again, he'll be on the Wait, not even this year, right? It'll be probably the season after that, right? Not, again, they're going to need bodies. He'll be here next year. He'll be here next year. Why not go for a Taco Fall at 57? He's got a mock to 57 <laughs> no, right now. Taco no. Fall, 7'6", 295. I mean, if you're going to take a big, take a big. No. No. <laughs> go Stay away from – we already have enough useless centers. We don't need one more. Go all the way big. Give me Taco Fall, 7'6", guy. Hey, he gave Zion trouble when he was in the game. Now, maybe he hit the layup at the end to put himself on the free throw line, but still gave him trouble when he was in, Nada. No, he didn't. All he did was foul him about eight or nine times, hey, and they the only called call it, it for, for five. Hey, that's that's all right. The officials didn't call it. Uh, again, give, you know what? Here, here's the thing. Taco Fall would make Frank Kamensky look like Ron Artest in his prime. That's how bad it is. I don't know what that means. I don't think I know what that means. <laughs> Did Ron Artest have a prime? <laughs> what is that? Well, what is I don't. What does that even mean, Nada? Does that is he is? Would that mean Frank is aggressive? Uh, Frank mobile. I I don't know what that means. That just means that Frank would be like and just. Ah! <laughs> ah, I hate it. I hate you guys. I hate you both. I, why did Ron Artest come at the top of the dome for a player cop? You know why? Because Ron Artest was actually a half decent defender. Taco again. Frank Kaminsky, yeah. So we were going defense there. I'm sorry. I had no clue. I mean, normally when you think of Ron Artest, you think of, one, the name change. You also think of the palace at Auburn Hills, the brawl, and you also the malice at the palace. You also think of, I'm too sexy for my cat. I think that's probably the best quote I've ever heard from a player. Do we all remember this? Ron Artest saying I'm too sexy for my cat. It was like after a good game or something like that. We all ran with it. I ran with it. I'm disappointed that Ron Artest quoted right, said Fred. I thought it was great. I'm too sexy for my cat. Doug has also been annoying me right before we got on the pod today. He also wanted to look at all of the stats that cleaning the glass had to offer for the Spurs and the Nuggets game last night. So while we were talking, and not and I, I think we were talking about coaches, Pop, whether he's the best coach of all time or not, every time that there would be a subtle pause in our conversation, Doug would drop some useless nugget that came from cleaning the glass in no the Spurs intended. and Nuggets. That's right. The Spurs and the Nuggets series. He would drop some useless piece of information. And all I was trying to do was have this sports radio take on Greg Popovich is the best coach of all time. Playoffs, baby. I mean, this is such an interesting game. They had the floor all to themselves last night. San Antonio versus Denver. San Antonio wins 118-101, but that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is if you look at where the shots were taken last night, 22% of Denver's shots were taken at the rim, 17% of San Antonio's shots were taken at the rim, and that would rank San Antonio last in among all the teams in terms of frequency at the rim, Denver second from last. So basically, None of these shots were taken at the rim. Everything was short mid-range, mid-range, and then a a couple of threes sprinkled in. I mean, this was an old-school mid-range battle straight out of the 1980s, early 80s. So basically, this was a rock fight is what you're telling me. A very yeah, I mean, well-played rock fight. Yeah, I mean, and, and it makes sense, right? Because San Antonio, you, you've got Aldridge, you've got DeRozan, you've got Rudy Gay, although Gay hit uh, three. He was three of three from beyond the arc. You've got Jokic taking a lot of mid-range. you got uh, Millsap dusting it up in the mid-range as well. So this is just an odd game, you know, in, in an era where everything is about extending the floor, about spacing the floor, about getting as many threes up as possible – this one was definitely not that, but I'll say this for San Antonio. They got more threes up, they made more threes, and they won the game. So Popovich is right. 
it's funny you look at you you hear everybody discussing how the nuggets tried to tank as much as they possibly could to avoid who are they looking to avoid at the end of this i mean it might have been they okay. were looking to avoid was it houston not huge well, or yeah. okc right i mean okc would probably be the team they were looking to avoid correct i think so, they were avoid they, they were av- trying to avoid if i'm not mistaken they were just trying to avoid the warriors the warriors in that half okay all right yeah. so trying to get to the western conference finals yeah i was trying to think of because you know, zach lowe constantly talks about the nuggets upsetting the basketball gods and trying to tank as much so they can get that's right it's to get out of the same part of the bracket that the Warriors and the Rockets are in. Mm-hmm. And the Nuggets did so successfully, even though there was a lot of different things that had to happen. It actually worked out for the Nuggets. And so now you have them. Now you have the Spurs. And I'm not even saying it was wrong, right? Like it, it's You certainly would rather play the San Antonio Spurs, but now you're going to a Game 7 because the Spurs just won't die. I mean, I mean honestly, this is cowardly behavior. And I can't believe there are people that are condoning and just abiding by this. Where again? Where you nuts, Denver? You should have just gone, go, go out <laughs> there compete. The like go out there compete against whomever. You should have beaten this team like, a, a, a long time ago. Big baller Nuggets. I hate you both. <laughs> uh, by the way, I gave the final score incorrectly. I gave the cleaning the glass version, which uh, knocked off the final one minute forty five seconds of that game. So the actual final score of that game one twenty to 103 cleaning the glass is fantastic i love the whole premise of getting rid of garbage time and the way that they do things but that is really misleading i know that they should just put the final they they should put the final score right i mean and they don't all they also don't list where the series is yeah they're saying listen they're young they're improving they're they're figuring out because it's great i I love that they have the percentile in which they performed relative to their size relative to their position i love all of the things that they offer give me the damn real score because seriously Think what what does that score do for us? Derek White, another efficient game. Oh man, I love Derek White. You gotta imagine too that Kimball Walker is sitting in his living room watching this game and thinking to himself, man, what if I were on the San Antonio Spurs? Oh, I bet I could really, really make an impact for this team and make them an actual finals contender. Because I tell you one thing, when the San Antonio Spurs, if they're able to get by Denver, then they got to go to another rock fight against the Portland Trailblazers. If they are lucky enough to find themselves in the Western Conference Finals once again up against a Houston Rockets team or a Golden State Warriors team, they're going to get absolutely annihilated because they are the past and that is the future. All right, we got one more break here in the Locked On Hornets podcast. Kimba said There's all your, that. It was yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. There's your Doug Kimba take on the playoffs. <laughs> I'm, it's de- the lock- I'm depressed already. <laughs> it's the lockdown. I'm, <laughs> I'm just imagining Kimba watching every single uh, game in the playoffs and having something to to say. More Kimba takes next. <laughs> are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay. (laughs) You did. I think you said Miles Leonard. That was on me. Sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be the same wavelength. Hot shot. Myers Leonard. (laughs) That's, That's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. How good do we feel and how good should we feel about Derek White's performance in this postseason as Hornets fans, as well as even Bryn Forbes, who went five of eight, 
hit half of the three-pointers that he took, just two of four. 12 points for Bryn Forbes, though, in this game. And how good should we feel as Hornets fans? Because, again, we can go back to Borrego being hired by this organization. A huge part of it was player development. It seemed like there was a long time where we were hating on that side because Malik Monk just simply didn't seem to develop. In fact, you could argue in a lot of ways, especially at the end of his rookie season, that Malik just got a little bit worse in some areas. You know, and, and just, again, it wasn't a very good shooting percentage from him again. And so Malik Monk just not looking like he's developing a whole lot. And then it takes us until they decide to go to the young guys. And here's Dwayne Bacon. Here's Devontae Graham. And even Miles Bridges, even when you went to the young guys, it almost it almost rebooted Miles Bridges' brain, right? Because when they went to the young guys, it's not like they went to Miles Bridges. He had already been a part of the rotation. Yet the last couple months or so, the last month and a half, you saw improvement from Miles Bridges. And so I'm not ready to crown Borrego as the end-all, be-all of getting the best out of his young players, developing all of the young players to an extremely good degree. But you have to feel good about this. When he, when he specifically puts Derek White as the example at the beginning of the season, and you see a guy like Bryn Forbes, who is performing well in the second round, or in the first round, I should say, of the postseason like you have to feel good about that especially when you have seen some of the development now from some of the young guys on your own franchise I mean you have to feel good about it but at the same I mean you have a guy like Devontae Graham that has shown that like that there's there's some points of this that we got to break down first things first we have to give all the credit to guys like Joe Wolf and the guys in Greensboro for getting those guys ready Jay Hernandez is another one that while he worked with Kemba, he wasn't only just specifically working with Kemba. It was working with guys like Devontae Graham, working with guys like Dwayne Bacon. They put in the work, but this coaching staff, this overhaul of the developmental system in general, has has to make you feel at least somewhat good about developing young talent no matter where they draft. Well, and I, and I totally get your point. It's just Borrego puts that coaching staff together, and he utilizes – the Greensboro Swarm. And so I'm, I'm not saying it's all Borrego right. I'm not here to take away credit from some of the other coaching staff, but yes, you're you right. Are. You're right. Yeah. Yes, you are. I, well, yeah. Well, I mean, seriously, Joe Wolf, get out of my face with that. But when you look at James Borrego and having this coaching staff come together and get the best out of his talent, I just, it seems like we saw something at the end of this year where it looked like a long time before we got any kind of development from the young players. And at least we ended on that. At least we got that. And then you're watching the Spurs where Derek White and Bryn Forbes, and we've seen young guys all the time perform as later round picks even you know even Bertans right like one of the better three-point shooters in the league you know they take a chance on him he didn't play last night but it's people that you know that actually contributed to a Spurs season that are younger basketball players that people haven't heard of because they didn't play all that much at a crazy high level in college well and I wonder if it's even fair to evaluate Borrego's ability to develop young players based on this season because this season was still about winning games this season was still about getting to the playoffs, and that meant that a lot of times it was all about Kimball Walker, both both offensively and then how other teams attacked them on the defensive end. It was all about Kimball Walker. So if Kimball walks, if Kimball leaves, then all of a sudden I think you're going to start to see some of these other young players get extended roles and maybe maybe that changes throughout the season maybe you see more Miles Bridges early and maybe more Malik Monk late or more Devontae Graham early and more Dwayne Bacon late so I just don't know if it's fair to really evaluate his player development on a team where it was tough to get those young guys 
in major roles until the very end. Well, I, I don't think you're finished with that. I mean, it's one year. Of course, we're not finished with that. But I also think that one of the things he said at the beginning of the season was trying to find a balance of winning now. That was their number one priority was winning now. But player development also was a huge part, even from Borrego. And so you well, saw it was, players it was, develop. It was balanced. The first half of the season was about winning now, and the second half of the season was about developing young players. Exactly. I mean, that doesn't mean the younger players didn't develop, though, right? I mean, you saw them. Are, are we just are we saying that it was after all that first half? I mean, because it seems like you know you're drawing a line in the sand. They passed that line in the sand. Oh, they're not very good. Oh, now they've developed. So I, I think it was a process. You look at James Borrego. And actually doing a pretty decent job. It's not like, yes, you know, they fell backwards into playoff contention. You know, they certainly did not mean to be in playoff contention. That winning was not their number one priority once they decided to go to the young guys. But I think I mean to watch those guys play pretty well, I think Borrego does deserve some credit for that. No, I mean who who gets the is, is it just the players? Like it like we're gonna give blame to the coaches and we gotta give credit to the coaches, not just the players that develop by themselves, right? Now the thing is, like, because I want to bring something back to what you said. Like, again, when we start talking about player development early in the season, you got to remember you got a whole bunch of veterans that are on contracts that want to win. So you have to balance that player development with a lot of veterans that know how to use the media, know how to use the press, and can possibly undermine you at any turn. So when you're talking about that, then you got that's where you give the credit to the coaches for, and specifically Borrego for navigating that because those are not easy waters to navigate when you start talking about balancing player development. So yes, you do give Borrego, Jay Hernandez, and that entire staff a lot of credit. You also have to give the credit to the young guys putting in the work. Sure. Well, I think Frank Kaminsky, the the player that we profiled in this episode, is an example of where player development rests a lot with the player as well because he wasn't getting run, he wasn't getting minutes, he wasn't getting burn, and he said basically, so it, play me or take me out, and he, you know, he stepped up and and really developed himself. So. At what part of that is the coach, right? Because Borrego didn't play. Well, the him. coach made the decision the to co- finally play him. The, well, and well, he also made the decision not to play him because Clifford was still playing him. Clifford was still playing him, and he wasn't playing well because that was his guy. And so here, this is the question that I ask you guys: No, wasn't Clifford's is, guy? Are we confusing? No, he he wasn't, but he was playing him, right? And maybe it was out of necessity, sure. But he was playing him, and then Borrego decided, all right, I've got Miles Bridges now. Frank, you're going to the bench, so. Did it take him sitting? How much credit do you give to Borrego? You know, are we confusing the line of you're developing players because they're actually playing in a real life game? And I've always thought that people put everything in player development based on them getting real minutes. It's important. It's a factor. It's not everything. It's why we're talking about Greensboro. It's why we're talking about Joe Wolf. So you can make the veterans happy by having them play. And it's actually kind of tough to have some of the young guys stay happy and keep at it and keep grinding as young guys. Because there, are, Dwayne Bacon talked about how it was tough. You know, I don't know if Don, if Devonte Graham really said all that much, but Dwayne Bacon talked about how it was tough, and yet here he is balling out in the last couple months of the season. And so we can we can talk about Frank certainly having to harness a lot of that responsibility himself, but also you know at, at what line? And I'm not saying that there's one right answer or not. I'm I'm asking. I think it's a fun question to try to figure out. You know how much of that do we put on Borrego for sitting him down and making him responsible? Look, if you don't perform better, then you don't play. That's on you now. Where you look at his time with Clifford, even if Frank Kaminsky did not play well, we have the one game in Orlando. He played pretty much every other game, right? I mean, Basically. Clifford played him. 
It was the one game in Orlando. So how do we divvy up the responsibility? I think it's fair to give both a lot. I'm just saying I think Borrego deserves quite a bit because of what the young guys did at the end of this season. You know, a lot of these mock drafts have Kobe White (laughs) right around the 10, 11, 12 spot. And I'm just saying, if Kobe White's sitting there two picks away, I'm not going to be mad if the Hornets make some kind of maneuver to get to 10 and find Kobe White, their point guard of the future. All right, we're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. Mock draft! If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked on Hornets. Also check us out on the Himalaya Podcast app. You just heard that Kobe White take from Doug. Remember, you go to the Himalaya Podcast app, it sounds even smarter. Nada sounds a lot more fiery, and I sound a lot more diva-y. It's all true. Go to the Himalaya Podcast app and check us out. We appreciate you joining us once again. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week.